Uh, we, we are talking about a series we started last week called Louder Than the Stones. It's a worship series, and someone has to take a stand, so I'm going to take a stand right now and just move them out the way because, whoa, Some, sometimes you take a stand, sometimes the stand falls. There we go. I'm just, because I tend to move a little bit, and I, I like unrestricted access to that pathway. We, we really are trusting God to take us as a church to a higher level in our understanding, experience, and expression of what we do in worship and what we experience from heaven in return. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Darlene's word last week Sunday on real worship? I, I got to say, I think that that's not just a word on worship. I think that's a word on just what it means to be a Christian. I mean, that was powerful, powerful stuff. And so I'm going to continue today, and let's just pray. I'm going to ask you to just quieten yourself before the Lord and receive right now a fresh breath of His Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus said how much more you would give the Holy Spirit to those who just ask. So we come into your presence right now, and we just ask, Father, give us more of your Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, come fill this place. Fill every person. I bless every person, every person watching, every person in this hall, sitting outside. I bless them right now. I don't know what their week's been like. I don't know what their, their night last night was like. But right now, we step into your presence and we say, Jesus, be the center of my heart, my soul, my strength. Be the center of this moment. Speak to us, minister to us. And cause us to be more like you when we leave this place in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, you might wonder why we would call a worship series louder than the stones. And I'm so glad you asked. Well, last week, Pastor Darling, that's my darling wife, Pastor Carol, for those of you who don't know or for visitors. But uh, she shared from Luke chapter 9, and you don't have to look there because I put it up on the screen. But if you look at Luke 9, it talks about Jesus when he was coming down the road to the Mount of Olives, that his disciples are all starting to praise him. And what they are saying, quoted from the Old Testament, is basically declaring him the Messiah. And they were shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory to God in the highest. And the scabs and the parasites were very upset. Uh, Sorry, the scribes and the Pharisees were very upset because this meant that the people were declaring Jesus to be the Messiah. And they said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. They should not be saying these things. And what did Jesus reply? I tell you. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I I want us to be a church that we don't have to have the stones that are lying around cry out because we're not giving God the praise and the worship he deserves. Amen. And one of the defining differences between stones, dead stones, every living creature and us is that you, 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 and you, and all of those that I didn't point to, if you are a human, you were created to worship. We did not evolve from some ooze that crawled out of some goo. We were created in the image of God. And we are the only part of God's creation that he breathed his Holy Spirit into and made us like him so we could worship him. 
And so Carol made this point so well last week, and she spoke about, so therefore, what is true worship? And, and from John chapter 4, she shared this incredible word, and that's just a quick summary of it. If you missed it, really, you need to go onto our YouTube channel and watch that or, or get the podcast. It is a powerful, powerful introduction and understanding to what it means to be a worshiper of God, what it means to be someone who lives the way God created us to. And, and she quoted from John chapter 4, Jesus, he's talking to the Samaritan woman, which firstly, according to the Jews, was a no-no. Talking to a woman was just a bad thing. Men, not anymore. Please talk to your wives, often regularly and, and in a real way. But, but here he is talking to the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritans were outcasts that the Jews weren't supposed to mingle with. And he says to a woman, I tell you truly, and time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshipers the Father desires. And I believe that all over the world today, it is, let's see, my brother lives in New Zealand, so they've probably finished their church services. There are some people who are still asleep, they were about to. But over the expansion of a Sunday throughout the world, everyone is going to gather as a Christian somewhere, and there are going to be so many different forms of worship going before God. Some of it's going to be true and in spirit, but much of it isn't. I want us to be a church, we want us to be a church that worships in spirit and in truth. And that word was so much about what that means. And she used the word real, that in order for worship to be real, it must be an engagement between the real God and the real you. So many people don't have a real revelation of who God is. The revelation of how you see God will affect your worship. Because worship is, in fact, our created response to who God really is. And she spoke about worship needing to be exclusive. You can't just worship God amongst a whole lot of other things you worship. We only call to worship God that, that as the pinnacle of God's creation, to worship anything other than God actually diminishes our place in God's creation. And he's the only one worthy. Amen. And then she spoke about part of real worship is us being aware of his presence, not just around us, but in us all the time. And that worship must be living, that it's only really when you're born again and you have the living presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you that you can worship in spirit and truth. And so I want to take off of that. And today I want to talk about the heart of worship. Now the heart of worship, I am going to look at three A's. Is that A-K with everyone? You can say amen. But I want to look at attitudes, actions, and atmospheres. And as we look at the attitudes of the heart of worship, the heart of worship really starts with an attitude, but it must lead to an action. You might not know this, but psychology and neuroscience, it all talks about the fact that everything you do starts with the way you think. The attitude of your heart and the attitude of your mind determines how you behave. So Christianity is not behavior modification. Nowhere in the Bible is it all about, well, just apply this rule and don't do that and don't do No, the Bible is actually all about renewing your mind to think like Jesus so that you can have a Christ-like attitude and that'll lead to change in your behavior. We're not trying to change behavior. We're trying to change the way we think. Amen. We are transformed by the removal of our minds, right? Uh, the renewal. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. There's parts of my mind that I needed removed. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. You know, there's some things we think we just need removed. But he wants to renew our mind by removing those and replacing it with truth. 
And so I want to look at that. And, and uh, today I want to look primarily at what we would talk about in Christian worship. What we did this morning, thank you, Musa, Pila team, thank you guys, Joshua, uh, who else, Rendani, uh, Tabo, am I missing anyone? Ernest, Ernest on the drums, give it up for all of them. Um, but we, what we do in church on a Sunday, through music and through worship and through praise, I don't know how many of you grew up in church and that's a normal thing for you. How many of you did? I, I'm not going to ask for hands, just a big, big toe, show of big toes. How many of you grew up? Okay. How many of you did not grow up in church and this is kind of weird for you? Oh, I see those big toes. You know, when someone gets born again and they didn't grow up in church and they come to church for the first time, have you ever wondered what they think when everyone's raising their hands and singing songs? We just had Kevin York out. He's the vice president of Every Nation International. He was just out from the U.S. spending time with us. He's, you know, he was a really good pagan in his own opinion. And he said when he first came to church, he was invited and he walks into this place and here they are making him sing love songs to some guy called Jesus. It's like, this is weird. And so I do believe that for each one of us to understand that this is not just something that was made up by man or just something we do to create, uh, you know, time for people to arrive late to church before the sermon. This is actually what we were created to do, and we have to have a biblical picture of what it looks like to worship God, so we've got something to say, this is biblical. This is what God created me for, therefore I can give myself to it with my whole heart, amen. amen. So we're going to try and create a biblical understanding of what true worship attitudes, true worship actions look like, act like, express like, so that we can bring the atmosphere of heaven through what we do. Now, if I had to say who I think is the greatest example in scripture of the best attitude, actions, and atmosphere bringing, I guess you would agree with me it has to be King David. I mean, David established an understanding of what worship is in scripture, both for the Israelites and for the, the Christians in the New Testament. Many of us still read, and, how many of you still read? Maybe you don't sing the Psalms, but a lot of them are in song, right? David wrote pretty much all of them, with a few exceptions. David wrote thousands of Psalms. Only just over a hundred made it into your Bible. David was a man that we can look to. And I learned a whole lot from the life of David. I don't know if you know this, but um, I've been a worship leader since I was 18 years old. And... Uh, Led worship first in the Methodist church as a Methodist youth pastor. And uh, since I was 18, that's, let's see, I'm 28 now, so that, that's about 10 years. Um, don't let the gray beard fool you. I diet gray to create an impression of maturity, to create an impression of someone who, who you know, knows wisdom, wisdom. But, but having been leading worship most of my ministry life, and Colin and I have been in ministry for, what, 34 years, I think, um, most of my ministry life has involved leading worship. I have learned so much through the life of David and attending conferences called the Heart of David conferences in the U.S. and understanding what the Bible says. I have taught weekend seminars, and so I hope you're ready. We might bring lunch in later, the, you know, in the 16 hours that are left to us this morning. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm going I'm to summarize and speak really fast. So in other words, what we're going to do with the life of David... You can just slow it down on the video as you watch. Now I want to just give some of this, paint a picture. 
what it looks like. Paint a picture for some of you. Maybe you've been worshiping God for many years. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe it's strange to you. But what is biblical worship? What is this thing that David established and modeled so well and what it did in the nation of Israel? And so what did God say about David? We see Paul in the book of Acts quoting and uh, he's, he's actually quoting from 1 Samuel chapter 13 where Samuel said the same thing and, and, and Paul says this, God testified concerning David, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart. How many of you would like to be called, well if you're a man or a woman, a man or a woman after God's own heart? How many of you would like God to look down and say, Jean-Luc, you're a man after my own heart. Zaji, you're a man after my own heart. Serena, you're a woman after my own heart. Just getting the genders right here. We want God to be able to say that about us. And if, if David was a man after God's own heart, what was the heart of David? He was first and foremost a worshiper. That is so clear through everything we see in David's life. When he was just a shepherd boy, he would be out in the fields with his little harp and his little lyre. And that wasn't someone who did not tell the truth. It was actually a small type of harp. And, and he would be worshiping God in the fields. And when Samuel came to anoint the next king and God said, it's one of the sons of Jesse, he lines up all of his sons and Samuel goes, wow, these are impressive looking people. But he leaves David out in the fields with his harp looking off the sheep thinking he's not worthy of being chosen. And Samuel looks at all him and says, no, the king's not here. Do you have another son? Oh yeah, he's out in the fields looking off the sheep. David was a servant. He was a worshiper, and God chose that heart to become the greatest king that was ever known, so much so that the greatest king of the universe came through his line. And so, in fact, even Paul, uh, Saul, not Saul, not Paul, Saul, uh, Saul was named Paul late in the New Testament, but Saul of the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, disobeyed God, was rejected by God, and started to have demons tormenting him. And his advisor said to him, what you need, Saul, is you need an anointed, skillful worship musician who can play skillfully, bring the atmosphere of heaven and the presence of God in such a way that the demons cannot stay anymore and have to flee. And Saul was like, good idea, find me such a man. They said there is only one such man. His name is David. Have I laid enough foundation for David? <laughs> First and foremost, a worshiper. So what did David do? In fact, what David established, Amos prophesied that in the last days, God was going to reestablish this. And quoted again in the book of Acts, James stands up in front of the council in Jerusalem, and he quotes this prophecy from Amos. And he says, after this, I will, <coughs> excuse me, that's not in scripture, that was just me. After this, I will return and rebuild, rebuild what? David's fallen tent, not rebuild the temple, rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins are rebuilt and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Now at the time James was saying this to remind the Jews that the Gentiles are also part of the gospel of Jesus, that we meant to reach the Gentiles, that, that this is for everyone. And most of us here are Gentiles, and we say, yes, praise God, thank you, amen, right? But at the same time, what was he saying? In these days, I'm going to restore the tent of David. Now, what was this tent of David? If this is what God is restoring, surely we should understand what David did. Would you agree? 
Now, David established a tent which was in essence a tent of worship. The whole focus was worship. And, you know, <clears throat> before David, we must understand the culture. I just need to grab my water quickly here. <clears throat> I, I have, I'm competing with that frog. I'll drink to what David did. So before David, we must understand this culture that the Hebrews had. The Hebrews had a culture where at the drop of a yamulka, they would burst into dance and song. Some of you did not grow up like that, right? So the Hebrews, you know, God parts the Red Sea. They get to the other side. He delivers them from the Egyptians. And what do they do? They pick up a tambourine and, oh, got a good energy. How many of you do that? You know, at parties, you have a few people over for supper. Or someone tells you, hey, we just had a new baby boy. You grab the nearest tambourine or whatever it might be. And you start dancing and singing. That's not exactly what our culture is today. Would you agree? So although we share in what it was like for them there, it doesn't mean that everyone has to now be forced to suddenly move in a way and express in such a way that frightens you and people around you. But what I do want to do is create an understanding of what biblical worship looks like so that we can feel the freedom and liberty to express ourselves more towards what expressed in Scripture pleases God. Does that make sense? So here, here they are, you know, and there's this clear turning point. So what did David do? Firstly, the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, had been stolen. Saul took it into battle. They lost the battle. The Philistines stole the Ark. And the Ark was the actual presence of God. So much so that he made Moses build a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, there were outer courts. And then you would go from the outer courts that only Jews could go into, into the inner courts. And then from the inner courts, you would go into the holy place. And, and the, the priests could only minister here. And then in the holy of holies was this ark where God's literal presence would dwell. A fire would be above it. The cloud would, would be above it in the tent of this, the tabernacle, also called the tent of meeting. His physical presence. But because it was so holy and he didn't want men to die, only the high priest could access that ark once a year. If anyone else tried to access the ark of the holy presence of God, what would happen to them? There was a funeral. Come on, brother. In fact, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but many people will say they would tie a rope around the priest's leg and, and that if he fell dead in the presence of God, they would drag him out because there was this thick veil separating everyone from the presence of God. So now the ark is gone. Presence of God is gone. The first thing David does when he becomes king, he says, listen, we need the presence back. How many churches are gathering around the world today where the presence doesn't play a role in anything we do? We're going through rituals. Maybe we're singing songs. Maybe we're listening to a nice, wonderful word on self-help and how to be a better person. Or I, I don't know. That's happening in churches all around the world. But we want the presence. And so David says, let's get the presence back. So they go and they get the ark and they bring the ark back. But instead of putting the ark in the Holy of Holies, behind the veil of the tabernacle that was on Mount Gibeon, he brings it and he puts it on the top of Mount Zion. And he doesn't put it anywhere near a veil separating it from the people. It says he just puts a cloth hut, literally is what that word means, 
a cloth hut over it, and every person, Gentiles, Jews, anyone who wanted to, could access the presence of God 24-7. Now, if you understand the Old Testament and the law, you would be going, wow, because everyone should have been struck dead. So now, say, wow. This half said backwards. Wow. So David... Now, Dr. Ray Hughes, who who I've had the pleasure of sitting under a few conferences, did his PhD on David and the Psalms and what David did. But let's have a look at what David did. Out of 38,000 Levites, only 4,000 were chosen. They were chosen by lot, so they allowed God to choose them. And these 4,000 Levites, they had to be older than 30 years, which meant there was a level of maturity. So I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there, two years to go. And they had to have completed seven years in the school of the prophets under Samuel. Why? So they could worship in spirit. So they could hear what God was saying to them. They could hear what the Holy Spirit was leading them in. Secondly, they had to have memorized the entire scripture. Fortunately, they only had five books at that stage. But they had to have memorized the first five books word for word. Why? So they could worship in truth. And so what happened is that they were then divided. He divided these 4,000 into 24 teams, and they would lead worship for one hour per day so that worship went up to God for 24 hours a day, 24-7, for at least 33 years that we know of. This was the most prosperous, peaceful, victorious season in Israel's history. Wow, can you imagine that? Seriously, I have this heart that when we build our property, we're going to have a place where we just got 24-7 worship playing the whole time that people can access to come and pray. That's been a vision of mine ever since Namibia, and God didn't let me bring it about in Namibia, but we are going to do it here. That is part of our plans. I mean, it's one of the things we're going to do when we get our property. We're going to build a place where we can do that. But God wasn't saying when I restore David's tent, I'm restoring 24-7 worship. What he was saying is, I'm restoring a place where everyone... No matter who, no matter what tribe, tongue, nation can come and access my presence with no veil, with nothing separating. They can come straight into my presence. They can access me 24 hours a day and worship me boldly face to face without veils gazing upon his glory. And every Hebrew word for praise and worship was practiced. Now, I don't have time to go into all of them, but do you mind if I just throw some of these at you quickly so you get an idea of what these Hebrew words were that were used for praise and worship? How many of you have heard the word and used the word hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, I know people who have said, hallelujah, God is good, hallelujah. And I've said, do you know what hallelujah means? It literally means to say or sing halal to Yahweh. It comes from halal Yahweh. So what does halal mean? It means to shine, make a show, boast, rave, celebrate and give glory, get vigorously excited and rejoicing, get clamorously foolish. It's hard to say hallelujah. If you understand what halal means, like David halaling with the return of the ark, dancing so much that his wife said, you ashamed me the way you mistreated yourself today and he said I will get even more undignified before the Lord than this now I am not please understand I'm not saying that we're going to all have to start acting crazy in church we have to understand that we need to make this a safe space especially for visitors and and people who are new believers etc but at the same time when people do want to express themselves more in worship we're not looking at them like what are you doing 
And I would encourage every one of you as we share in this to say, how can I get closer to that? But we do have times like when we do worship encounter evenings and gatherings where the whole focus is just worship. Sometimes our Thursday night prayer meetings where we do allow a bit more expression. But I want us to catch the heart of the excitement because when you go to a soccer match or a rugby match and your team scores, no one seems to have a problem with halaling or, excuse me, Lost, lost that one, we're going back to it. Or rakadin, or gulin, or shabachin, spring about wildly for joy, dance, jump, leap, whoa! Shabach, address loudly, triumphing, rejoice, spin around, dance, and twirl in a circular motion. Wow, this is how they praised and worshiped in the, before God. I would say that, you know, for church to really represent true praise and worship, it should look more like a soccer stadium rejoicing at the scoring of a goal. And our God is a whole lot better than scoring a goal. Excuse me for getting undignified in church. I grew up in a church where if you raised your hands, they stopped the whole service and said, yes, can we help you, sir? Or an usher would come up to you and say, I assume you want to see where the bathrooms are. They, they just, as you go out the door to your left over there. How many of you grew up in a church like that? I mean, you raised your hands. People are like, what, what's he doing? What's wrong? But is it biblical to raise your hands? There's so many words for raising hands. I'm just going to throw out three. Yada, extend. Throw out the hands in reverence like one throwing a spear. Toda, extend the hands in adoration and thanksgiving. Toga, extend the hands in thanksgiving. Not only so, I, Carol touched on this a little bit, but do you know that neuroscience has shown that people who raise their hands, firstly, even blind children, if they win a race, will immediately extend their hands as a sign of victory. It is a universal, built-in sign of victory. But secondly, if you stand, how long is it with your hands right? Three minutes. If you stand for three minutes with your hands raised like this, you actually increase the levels of testosterone and confidence and boldness in your chemical system. And so there are, there are counsel, uh, coaches who will say, before you go for an interview or something, go stand in the bathroom with your hands raised like this. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Well, how about praising Jesus? How many of you want a little bit more confidence? Raise your hands in worship. Then worship... There's a whole lot more that, uh, and I'm not going to go into all of them. I'm just going to touch on, on a few of them. But Barak, to kneel down, to bless in adoration, be still and thank. To Shakar, bow down in reverence, prostrate, beseech humbly. Proskenu is the most common word in the New Testament. I love this word. It is used most commonly uh, to prostrate oneself, reverence, adoration, and respect. But do you know how the Greeks used this word? To kiss towards like a dog would lick its master's hand. Why do I love it? Because I'm a dog lover. And let me tell you, my dogs, our dogs are proscenure professionals, man. You want your hand licked, you can visit my place. You don't like being licked, I'll hold them and make sure they don't. But, but man, they proscenure so well. But this is the attitude. It's like, God, I just love you so much. I just, I just want to be in your presence. I'm just constant. There's this intimacy. Are you, are you hearing me? And there's two of these critical elements that David introduced in worship. There's this word tequila, uh, sorry, tequila. It, maybe it has the same kind of effect as tequila. But you know, out of all the words in the Bible on praise and worship, 
There's only one that the Bible says God comes down and fully inhabits the, this type of praise. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, you are holy. You are enthroned in and you come down and you inhabit the Tehillah of Israel. Wow. There's something about Tehillah. Now, that's why when we do praise and worship, we make sure we do some of this. But what does it literally mean? What does Tehillah mean? It, it is the singing of a lull, singing in the spirit, singing a new song. But there is something about it that literally implies it is spontaneous and unrehearsed. As a worship leader, I've got to tell you, I feel more anointing when I break off from, and I will worship you with all of my heart. Into holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. It's not on the words up there, but when I just start to sing songs, words that come to my heart. Worthy, worthy, worthy. You notice there's an increase of the anointing that comes when you go with scripture. Suddenly, those people who are just reading it again, where is that? I don't see that on the screen. It's just a point to let whatever is in your heart come forth. Yeah, Tehillah. Another word for spontaneous worship is zamal, which means to lead spontaneously on an instrument, like David playing on his harp that drove the demons away from Saul. And I want to I want to close by just looking at the fact that this is not just for here and now. But what is heaven worship going to look like? And that doesn't mean we're going to spend all eternity just worshiping. The Bible says we're going to govern, we're going to rule, we're going to rule nations, we're going to rule peoples, we're going to do whatever you love doing on earth, you're going to get to do even more so in heaven. But this is what worship looks like in heaven. I look, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. That's why we are committed to building multicultural churches wherever we go. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, the Bible says, washed white by the blood of the Lamb, palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The angels were standing around the throne, around the elders, the four living creatures. They were falling on their faces before the throne, worshiping God, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, strength to our God forever and ever and ever and ever. When you see God the way he truly is, the way John the apostle saw him and fell flat on his face like that, there is nothing you can do but respond in worship. And if you're not responding in worship, you haven't seen the real God. When you do that, that atmosphere comes and inhabits this place. I'm closing with this. Graham Cook, a well-known prophetic leader in the body of Christ, says throughout Revelation, we see the atmosphere of heaven. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up while I'm, while I'm closing with this. We see that the atmosphere of heaven is an atmosphere of worship. Try not to be distracted by the band coming up. You've seen people move before, so, you know. So when we truly worship, we create the atmosphere to bring heaven to earth. Listen to this. True spiritual worship brings God's presence to deliver from evil. Like David playing the harp for Saul, it creates atmospheres. Those atmospheres impact the hearts of the people who come into their presence. Friends, I don't know about you. I've been in many churches, especially across Africa, 
where a whole lot of what they do is shouting at the devil. Where a whole lot of what they do is spiritual warfare. I want to say this to you. When you go home at night and it's dark, you don't shout at the darkness. What do you do? You just turn on the lights. You bring the atmosphere of heaven. Dan McCollum corporate praise and worship is not just about us worshiping God entering his presence but there's prophetic power in worship to create atmospheres that have an incredible spiritual impact on the environment around us true worship brings heaven to earth and causes a displacement of spiritual forces in that place displacement is far stronger more powerful more effective than deliverance this is the most powerful form of spiritual warfare, bringing the atmosphere, authority, and glory of heaven in such a way that darkness has to flee. So we want to take a moment to just go back into worship, but my heart is, friends, press in to worship like this. Heart to heart, atmosphere of heaven. We've had visitors coming into our church who say, that was weird, I've never experienced anything like that, but I felt something. I felt a presence, I felt peace I felt joy can we stand together and just let his presence start to fill you again could you just stand with me this morning and Lord Jesus and it's not just about this moment but when you go home when you play praise and worship in your car we are bringing an atmosphere the atmosphere of heaven Lord make us a church who worships like this who praises you like this who gets vigorously excited about you in your presence, who worships you in such a way that brings the atmosphere of heaven. And we ask right now, atmosphere of heaven, come and fill this place. Come, Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Quickly respond to it. The song we're about to sing is a response song out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I plead to you, brothers and sisters, present yourself as a living sacrifice before the Lord. So I'm introducing it so that you're not just singing words, but really considering bringing all of who you are before the, before the throne, before the, before the altar of the Lord, withholding nothing. Every bit of us, every piece of our lives, not separating our Sunday from our Monday. That worship would be one thing, one expression of a life lived with Jesus.
Let's lift it up, let's lift it up, let's lift it up And I 
You're with us. 
today. Worship is an everyday, all day occurrence. This energy, this power, this life, this, this sense of wholeness that you feel right now in His presence is your creation 24 7. Lord God, we thank you for that. I'm going to invite you to live this life forever. Tomorrow when you when that alarm clock goes off, yeah. would you remember this? Yeah. Would you start this day like this? Would you start every day like this? Lord God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you to our worship team who are just amazing. Thank you for that incredible word, Pastor Hanson. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give, him, give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go be great. Live, live big. Live the victory that's always yours through Jesus Christ. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Those of you who are keen for the presbytery, please head out behind the hall. Visitors, we would love to see you at the visitors' reception because Jesus is Lord.